Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another in my podcast series on speakers at Converge 18. Today, Katura Pastel talks about the proactive use of data and information from her company's hotline program. First, a word from our sponsor, Conversant, about Converge 18. As you know, the last year has publicly brought ethics to the center of business reputations worldwide. With the acceleration of the speak-up culture and organizational accountability that social media is enabling and amplifying, companies need to incorporate integrity into every level of their organization. Converge 18 is helping organizations to do just that by addressing ethical transformations head-on. This event will be held in Denver, Colorado on from October 8th through 10th. At it, you will be able to network with 300 of your peers, including C-suite executives, legal professionals, HR leaders, and ethics and compliance visionaries. Gain insights from 35 speakers, including such prominent speakers as Wei Chen, Steph Vogel, the NBA's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer, and Carol Switzer, President of OSEC. You will bring home actionable takeaways to your compliance program from a variety of sessions, including two keynotes, five general sessions, 12 based roundtables, and 18 interactive breakout sessions for you. You can get more information on Converge 18 at Conversant's website, conversant.com. Listeners to this podcast will receive a 50% discount to the event. Use the discount code TOMFOXVIP. That's all caps, TOMFOXVIP. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. Today, I have with me Katura Pastel. I hope I got that right. She is the Program Manager Business Ethics Office at Thrivent. And we're here to uh, talk about a couple of topics that I think are going to be uh, significantly important at Converge 2018 and maybe get some of her thoughts on what she hopes uh, to achieve uh, at this year's conference. So, uh, Katura, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask is uh, your experience around uh, hotlines and reporting and how that a company can work to really um, sort of, I don't want to say bust through silos, but make that an enterprise-wide effort, not simply centered in the uh, compliance function. Sure. Um, One of the things that I think has been a big shift in the past few years, if you look at the broader U.S. culture, is the concept or idea that people should have a process um, where somebody can bring a concern forward, it's going to be looked into, and the appropriate action is going to be taken. You see that with certain things like the Me Too movement. Um, You see that in certain kinds of generational aspects, and I think it's beyond just one generation. You see that in the culture more broadly. And so one of the things that I think people need to realize is individuals actually want to be able to bring concerns forward and have an expectation that people will take appropriate action on those concerns. Um, So one of the things that we do at Thrivent is that we've got not just the table stakes outside hotline um, or external hotline like Conversant uh, runs, but we also have an internal hotline. So we have a place, a dedicated line, uh, email box, ability to walk in and drop in and talk to somebody. You can IM um, because we know that people, different people have different places that they want to want to go and take something. And so We've got that across the enterprise where we educate people on what are the channels that are available 
um, knowing that that's a, a broader desire throughout um, our whole enterprise. Victoria, you said a phrase in there where I'd really like to hone in on because it's one of my favorite phrases, and you used the word table stakes. And I thought it was the absolute appropriate adjective for what the Department of Justice, SEC, and any other regulator mandating a hotline would require and how uh, Thrivent really moves beyond simply the table stakes now to allow and foster communication uh, in the way that your workforce does. And, and you ticked off several different examples. But it seems to me that that is really an engagement level um, that is uh, becoming, uh, if not mandatory, certainly a best practice these days. How do you see that? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, we started our, we rolled out our code of conduct in 2006. We are a private company, not a public company. So we had the ability to see what some people did when they rushed things out saying, oh, this is required. We have to have a code. Okay, here we go. Um, we wanted to take a thoughtful approach. And part of that thoughtful approach was having a code of conduct that didn't read like it was written in a very legal style or um, very policy style. It was more approachable, had learning aids, had pictures, had white space. So we've always had that from the beginning. Additionally, we've had the external hotline where somebody could be anonymous. I think that's a really important option to give to people. But we additionally created this internal um, hotline approach, which was more than table stakes. And I've been surprised in the time since we started how... um, There's not as many people that have that option as I would expect. We always felt that it was important to have a place where not only can you report concerns, but a place where people can ask questions. Lots of people want to do the right thing. They may or may not know what the right thing is according to the company. And if you think about the diversity that we all bring based on our backgrounds, our family experience, our culture, our past work experience, where we are in our career, how much... Um, job history we have, how much we've seen other people do things and what is normal, quote-unquote normal. Normal may vary from industry to industry, and it doesn't mean it's some big moral judgment. It just means the norms are different depending on where you are. And so we wanted to give people a chance uh, to have a place they could go, a safe place they could go and ask a question, no harm, no foul. And so that's um, part of what we take in on our internal hotline. Um, We call it the Code of Conduct Office. So the reporting mechanism, though, that's just one part, uh, the hotline, the communication. It, it is uh, much beyond that because, as you said, you've got to be able to talk to people. You have to listen yep. to them. You have to uh, uh, handle an issue if one has arisen, uh, whether yep. that be uh, through an internal investigation or reporting up the line and certainly need to communicate with the uh, reporter uh, as appropriate. How do you uh, work towards each one of those steps after a communication comes in? Um, when the communication comes in, we've got an automated response that goes back to, um, if it's on the external hotline, an automated response that goes to the reporter. So that's part of the system functionality that I really like about uh, Conversant. And we tell the person that we're, we appreciate them taking the time to let us know and that we ask them to check back within a um, couple, three business days so that if we have additional questions, we can ask them. And that's part of our approach to help um, anonymous reporters stay engaged. That's one of the things we've noticed over time. When people are anonymous, sometimes they don't check back in. 
and that makes it difficult because most people don't give you enough to go on in their initial report. So having that ability to have that anonymous chat function, and especially with something that's an automated right-away message response, that's a really nice feature. Um, another aspect that I like about the tool is um, somebody who's anonymous can choose to be totally anonymous, or they can choose to be anonymous to the organization, but not anonymous to conversant. So they can provide contact information, and conversant can give them a message when we post something new. And that's also been helpful in keeping anonymous reporters engaged. When somebody comes directly to us, we respond to them within one business day or if it's a phone call or a drop by, obviously, immediately. And um, again, that same kind of thing, recognizing the courage that it takes to raise something that people think is a concern. Um, because that that is something, it, it takes something out of you. When it's theoretical, you can say, oh, sure, I'd be happy to report something if I saw something wrong. But when you're really faced with something you think is wrong, it gives most people pause. Do I want to go through this? Do I want to take the time? Do I want to take the emotional energy? And so we try to meet them right where they're at. And then we keep people informed throughout the investigation process um, by checking back in with them, letting them know um, we're still looking at things, giving them a basic expectation of about how much time it might take, realizing that that can change. Obviously, if you start an investigation, uh, it could end up being much bigger than what you think it looks like at the front end. And then at the very end, we give them uh, feedback to let them know if their concern was substantiated or not. And if anybody's interested in what we do, part of our communication um, Tools are also available publicly at thriventcodeofconduct.com. Um, that's the landing page that is hosted by Conversant for us, and we've got resources in the bottom center that include our code of conduct and also a series of infographics. Uh, there's one on speaking up and one on our investigation process and our non-retaliation policy, and that gives samples of the kind of information that we give back to people um, at the conclusion of an investigation. That's the other thing that I found is critically important. If you want people to trust the process, when you have that reporter, you need to make sure that you um, honor the faith and trust that they've put in you. And I think part of that is keeping them informed appropriately. You don't give them all the twists and turns of the investigation details, but you keep touch with them. And then at the end, I think that it's important to give them at least so we've substantiated it and we've taken what we believe to be appropriate action to stop that from happening again. I can't tell you all the details of discipline because that's confidential, but I really appreciate you taking the time. If you see something like this again, please let us know. Um, and just that small amount of detail really goes a long way uh, to people because they know they've been heard and that you as a company care about ethics. You're backing up what you say about your culture with action, and I think that's critically important. Katura, have you been able to determine the uh, level of uh, satisfaction or how having this tool and using it in the robust manner that you've uh, outlined for us has really um, uh, become very appreciated by your workforce? Any, any, any way you've been able to assess that? We have. We've done um, several ethics culture surveys. Um, we have used both the corporate executive board's uh, version and then more recently one through Ethisphere. And one of the things that we've asked is, <clears throat> excuse me, have you seen misconduct in the past year? If yes, um, what kind of misconduct? So there's different areas that people can put it in. 
Did you report it? Yes, no. If yes, to where? And then how satisfied were you with that response? And so what we've actually been able to do is document that the satisfaction level for people who have come through the Code of Conduct Office is higher than for um, areas where they've reported to other internal groups. And I think part of that is because we've got this more robust process and people feel on the back end, sometimes even if they come and they think that there's a problem, but when we talk about why it wasn't substantiated, um, I think people feel like at least they got a fair shake. You know, it was looked at, it was evaluated, and they can trust the process even if it's not the same outcome that they thought would happen. Um, and so we we do actually have have stats that show that people um, are satisfied, more satisfied with that as an outcome. I've always advocated that institutional justice is really one of the key indicators of a successful compliance and ethics program. And your phrase, they got a fair shake, encapsulates it to me absolutely perfectly. (laughs) It seems like that it it fulfills the obligations of a compliance program, uh, or at least the uh, guidelines that we, we all work around, but also you guys have been able to use it, Thrivent's been able to use it to actually move forward uh, with your employee workforce. Would, would that be a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that's been very helpful um, from those surveys is it gives us data that has been useful to say, oh, Things like 80% of our workforce would prefer, if they have a concern, to raise it to their leader or somebody in their chain of command. Well, that begs the question, are those people prepared to take in things? Do they know what to flag, what to escalate? And so we've done training on that based on those survey data results. Um, It's also been something where we know that um, we watch it closely. How is that organizational justice sense going uh, going for people, and when we've taken a, a step down, I can tie that to, you know what, we've shared less summary stories than we used to in the past. We need to get back. You can't just count it as a once and done and, oh, we've shared real stories and so now we're fine. I think you need to do that as a constant um, drip almost because ethics isn't a once and done thing. You don't just do a certification once a year and then you're good until next year. Um, I think it really is keeping that message front and center and keeping in mind what do people want to hear or need to hear or be reminded of so that you can impact and influence the whole culture across the enterprise. Because culture is just impacted by a series of little decisions day in and day out. You can move it forward or you can move it back, but you're not going to stay still. Kadura, I wondered if we might change the focus just a little bit to ask you about what you hope to achieve or perhaps some of your goals for attending Converge uh, 2018. I'm really looking forward to Converge 2018. I went last year for the first time and was absolutely impressed with the quality of the speakers, the topics that were covered and how relevant they were to my day-to-day work. And while they had things that I would say were on a one-on-one level and things that were very accessible, there also was 201 and 301 level. And so I'm looking forward to hearing the other speakers um, and gaining some more um, thoughts and concepts. I'm also bringing a couple people from my team because I want them to be able to experience that as well. I'm also speaking on a session about being a silo buster and how you can help uh, champion ethics across the enterprise. And so I'm looking forward to sharing real stories and things that I have done to get legal and come. Uh, compliance and HR support for ideas that I've had with things like sharing real 
examples of misconduct that we've had here, investigation summaries, um, some of the ethics awareness events that we've done and how that has helped thrive in, in terms of building up the culture and uh, helping people to know and realize what resources are available to them. Well, Katura, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. This has been a, a fascinating exploration and, frankly, one that I think uh, Thriven is quite innovative on in its uses of uh, not simply a hotline, but a truly reporting communication tool that uh, you can utilize for, frankly, a wide variety of, of, uh, of uh, upgrades to your compliance program. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you will join me at Converge 18. Once again, you can get a up to 50% discount uh, to Converge 18 by using the code TOMFOXVIP. That's T-O-M-F-O-X-V-I-P. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.